pile of um, their tracks, right? They basically reverse tracks or inside out tracks or inverted tracks. And the reason I say that is because the idea of these, here we go. The idea of these is that when you're talking to people and you're sharing your story or you share the gospel or whatever, or you're just hearing the needs of people and you tell them, I'm going to pray about that for you, you do that. You go away and you pray. And after a certain amount of time, when you catch up with them again, check in, see how they're going. And then you can hand them one of these and say, by the way, this is what I meant when I said I would pray for you. So you can kind of see it's a, it's a reverse track or inside out track or whatever track. So um, I might, I'll put these outside, maybe, if it's not too windy. But it'd be good to just take one with you and, um, and, and, and apply it, eh? Give it a go, see what happens. It's got a bit of a gospel message in there. So it'll be good. Another, another thing I just wanted to flag is um, the focus of Psalm 3. There is quite a bit of a focus on uh, suffering. And in our small but wonderful library over here, there's a couple of books that I just want to flag. One uh, by Eric Ortland, Suffering Wisely and Well. Uh, this is the grief of Job and the grace of God. So it's likely you've come across Job before, understand about his life. This guy fleshes it out really well. Something a little smaller um, by Christopher Ash. Where was God when that happened? You know, that, that's a pretty big question that a lot of people ask, right? Where was God when that happened? And other questions about God's goodness, power, and the way he works in the world. So they're over here. If you want to have a look, and uh, the, the boring details are over here too, if you want to do that. Okay, so Psalm 3, before we, before we pray, I'll just, I'll just flag the main movements of, of what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the chaos in our life. Uh, the confidence in our God and the conviction in our prayers. They're kind of the, the three sort of movements of this psalm that I, that I framed it today. But uh, let's pray and, and have a look. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, the God of our salvation, we praise you and want to want to glorify your name in all that we do. I want to glorify your name this afternoon in all that I say. And I just pray that by your word and your spirit, the most powerful force in all the universe and in the church, that you would stir our hearts and be changed and transformed by the power of your word as your spirit works amongst us. So Lord, if you lead this time, may it be pleasing to you and profitable to us. We ask in the precious name of Jesus and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's unlikely that there's anyone in this room who could say they've lived a trouble-free life. Right? That's right. 
Surely we've all tasted the troubles of this world. You know, the savage sting that life can bring. Perhaps you've just come out of a season of chaos. Or perhaps you're about to enter into one. But nobody really knows. The next week, the next day, the next hour could be filled with absolute chaos. But the question is, what are you going to do when chaos comes your way? What are you going to do? How can you have any sort of hope or confidence in the middle of your trial? How can you have confidence in the chaos? Well, I think Psalm 3 has some answers for us. Because Psalm 3 tells us how the King of Israel, King David, handled an extremely chaotic situation. Uh, He was in an extremely stressful situation. I reckon you're probably going to be able to relate to David. And though many of us won't be in such uh, of an intense situation as David was, the reality is your struggles are real. Uh, you're face to face with them, right? You're feeling them. You, they are very, very real. They're intense, painful. You may even be wondering how you can escape these troubles. Well, I believe Psalm 3 can help. Uh, Psalm 3 can help give you confidence in the chaos of life. Look at verse 1 with me. Well, the first line, it says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Right, psalm 3 is a, is a prayer that tells us about you know, a story, a part of uh, the life of King David, the second king of Israel. Now, this is the first psalm in the Psalter with a title. I'm not talking about the English title, we're talking about the, the one from the Hebrew Scriptures. And this title gives us the historical context of our psalm. Sorry, this thing just feels really short. <laughs> and I don't know how far I can go without it toppling over. There we go. Yeah, so it's the first one with the title. Um, And it basically says that this is a psalm that's an expression of David's faith as he was running away from his son Absalom, right? Now you can read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 15 to 18. And if you haven't, I suggest you do. Uh, But in a nutshell, David was the appointed king of Israel and his own son stirred up the people against him. his own son, Absalom, wants to kill his father and take the throne, basically. Um, so King David had to get out of Jerusalem uh, because his own son had turned thousands of people against him. Now, I know that this could be already stirring you know, some of you guys because it's very likely that you've had loved ones or close ones turn against you at some point in some way. Uh, You know, in some way that you're already right here with with David. You know, his own family members turning his life into chaos. Utter chaos. Now remember that the prayers are uh, written down, the Psalms, sorry, are prayers written down to help God's people of every generation. What we hear in these first two verses is King David's 
uh, lament. It's his prayer of complaint to God, if you will. Uh, he's pouring out his troubles to God. Now just look closely at the structure of these words. Um, listen to the repetition. Look for the emphasis here in verses 1 to 2. He prays, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. Quick note, that word salah has something to do with the music that was often said to these prayers, right? It could mean to pause and reflect on what was just said, uh, or it could mean a number of other things. No one knows exactly what it means. Um, so just keep that in mind. But did you hear the cry of David's heart in those first couple of verses? Did, did you sense any of the desperation in his prayer? Like this man's being hunted down by thousands. Thousands. Like many of his faithful followers, they've turned against him. He's only got a few men left and they're on the run. Right? They're running back over the Jordan River, back into the wilderness. Right? This king is being hunted down by his own people. His own son wants him dead. And what does he do? What does he do? He calls upon God. He, he involves God in the, into the dramas of his life. Right? He doesn't want to do it alone. He's got enemies. They're coming after him. They're taunting him. They're, they're tormenting this guy, saying there is no salvation for him in God. Right? They're, they're targeting his faith and they're doubting the saving power of God. Right? They're trying to get David to doubt the covenant promises that God has made. Has anyone ever attacked your faith? Any here against me. What do I do? What do I do? They're telling me you're not going to help. You're telling me, they're telling me that there is, there's nothing I can do. That I'm all alone in this. And I'm starting to believe them. But I'm crying out to you in faith. Ever felt all alone in the chaos of life? You may not be facing an actual army right now. But I bet you're still in a battle. Maybe some of the closest people you know have turned against you. And they may not have spears and arrows. But they might have gossip and slander and rumours. They may not attack you physically, but they might attack your faith. What about your own thoughts? If you're anything like me, I know that, that your heart, your own heart can just fire round after round of, of discouragement and, and, and doubt. There's a battle going on within, let alone the stuff that's coming from without. Whatever distress or danger you might be in right now, make certain you involve God in it. Dare to be desperate. That's what's happening here. David is desperately pouring his heart out to God. 
pour out the truth of the situation in nitty-gritty terms to God. Just tell him. Tell him. So you take note of what the king of Israel does. He calls upon Yahweh, the one true living God. He fully recognises that this situation is beyond his control. Right? And he needs great, he, need, he needs something far greater than himself at this point. He knows it, right? And so he turns to God in faith. But faith is only as good as its object, right? Faith is only as good as its object. Imagine you are standing on the edge of a cliff, sheer drop, 100 metres. Your toes are hooked over the edge. You've got to abseil down, right? How much confidence would you have in an old, frayed rope? How much confidence would you have in a shiny, new steel cable? Right? Which one would you trust your life with? Which one would drastically increase your confidence that you'll safely make it down? Right? Faith is only as good as its object. Now listen carefully to the next words of David because they tell us something about the object of his faith. Verse 3, 6. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. There is a major shift in the language and the vibe here, right? Major shift. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? there's a tone, there's a, there's, a, there's a large shift compared to 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2. What happened? This is what happened. He started to give more attention to God than to his enemies. Right? He started to give, to focus hard on the object of his faith instead of the object of his troubles. That's where the shift has occurred. Right? He switched his focus from the danger to the deliverer. That's where the changes happen. He started to remind himself of who God is. Remember, David's already been through a whole lot with God in his life. And God has proved himself faithful over and over and over again. He spared David's life in many ways. It's why he says, God, I've got a whole lot of problems right now, but you, but you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Shield. This is battle language. This is battle language here. He considers God to be like a shield, but not like your regular shield, which only sort of protects a bit of you. He, he considers God as a shield all around, protection all around, every side, over and below. He considers that God is fully protecting him. <coughs> He's fully trusting God with his life. Right? And that gives him confidence in the chaos. Glory. David says that God is, is his glory. Again, if you read through 2 Samuel chapter 15 and onwards, you'll see that David gets taunted. 
he becomes despised and rejected by many, you know, full of grief, a man of sorrows. But no matter what anyone else thinks of him, at this point, he only cares what God thinks of him. David may have been stripped of all his earthly glory, but no one and nothing can take away his glorious Lord. It's secure. The Lord who is mighty in battle, the Lord, this Lord of glory who dwells in unapproachable light, is David's glory. The same God is the lifter of his head. In 2 Samuel 15, uh, verse 30, after David legged it out of Jerusalem, it says that he went up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. This is a king. <coughs> He's walking up a hill shedding tears. Right? He's grieving hard. He's walking along with his head hung low, his chin is touching his chest, you know, you can picture it, it's hunched over. His tears are just pouring down onto his dirty, dusty feet, turning to mud as he walks along, just sick in the gut with grief and sorrow. Fear. But after he focused more on God than his troubles, his confidence builds. After he's thought about God's protection and promises, his head starts to lift up. His anxiety slowly starts to taper off. Why? Because this king of, in this king of Israel has remembered the promises of God, like in Psalm 2, where God promised his chosen king will have victory. But he's focused more on God than anything else. Right, he's number one. His confidence is in God, not in anything else. <coughs> and he fully believes that God certainly hears his prayers, the prayers of his people. How do we know? Verse 4. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. And how did this work out in real life terms today? On the ground, what did this look like? He had a good night's sleep. Impossible, isn't it? Apparently not. Apparently not. I bet there's more than a few of us in this room who long for just one full night's sleep, peace, calm. A peaceful sleep where all our cares are cast upon the Lord in faith and we wake up refreshed. Have you ever had one of those sleeps where, you know, you just wake up, as soon as you open your eyes in the morning, you're just pumped. You spring out of bed and you're just like, yep, bring it on. <laughs> bring it on. Yay. I rule this day, you know. <laughs> Nothing's going to stop me today. Well, it seems like David had one of those days, right, despite all the chaos in his life, despite that he's being hunted down for real. For real. It's no fairy tale. This is this was his reality. Verse 5 and 6. I lay down and slept. Ah, 
I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Now that's faith in action, eh? Give me some of that. Give me some of that. You know, if God didn't allow this situation to happen in David's life, he wouldn't have got to the point of trusting God completely with his life. He would have remained bound with anxiety, fear and stress. He wouldn't have had a good night's sleep. And he certainly wouldn't have been able to wake up and say with full confidence that he's not afraid of thousands of people who are out to get him. Right? This is a complete turnaround. He's gone from warrior to warrior. The chaos of life led to confidence in God. The chaos of life led to the confidence in God. You ever had a storm raging inside your chest? Right? Just so many troubles, so much pain, so much chaos, tossing, turning, tears, sleepless nights. There is one who can calm the storms of your soul. There is one. King David knows it. In the storms of life, the presence and peace of God can calm it down. Whatever the trial, we need to focus on God. Lean heavily upon him because he is a shield and the strength to his people. When, when we try and live in our own strength, we're easily defeated. We're easily defeated. We're defeated by these arrows of anxiety, daggers of depression. Everything just seems too big, too hard. As James Boyce says, a marvellous man of God, when a believer gazes too long at his enemies, the force arrayed against him seems to grow in size until it appears to be overwhelming. But when he turn his, turns his thoughts to God, God is seen in his true great stature and the enemies shrink to manageable proportions. Oh, they have manageable proportions. Hey? The chaos of life led to confidence in God. His circumstances are the same. They've stayed the same. They haven't changed yet. He still has thousands of people rising against him. But David knows that his life is not in the hands of his enemies, but in the hands of God. That's the one who has his life. David was God's chosen king. And he knew that if God was for him, who could be against him? This is faith in action. Listen to the conviction of his prayer in verses 7 to 8. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. <coughs> David's confidence in God is evident. It's evident. His convictions in this prayer are clear. 
Stand up, Lord, and defeat my enemies. Talk about vivid language, eh? God, stand up and break their jaw. Knock the teeth out of their face. I get the feeling David wants this taunting to stop, eh? Many were saying to him, there is no salvation for you in God. But they'd have a, fa a hard time saying that if their face was shattered, right? And if it's God who does it, they'll know for sure that salvation is possible for him. What David is really praying here is that God would disarm the enemies. Like in Psalm 58, verse 6, it says, O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. This, this jaw-busting imagery is about um, taking away the danger of the enemies. And broken, teeth on, broken teeth from a hit on the jaw basically means that the enemy is no longer a threat. Like a, like a lion without teeth, right? Uh, like a brown snake without fangs, you know? Yeah. Right? He didn't jump on his laptop and, and Google how to increase my self-esteem. <laughs> he didn't pop down to the local library and get out ten, the 10 best books on the power of positive thinking. Right? He called upon the name of the Lord. He called upon the name of the Lord. He turned to the faithful, promise-keeping, sovereign God of the universe. Good option. The best option. Right? He wants to be rescued and he wants the nation of Israel to be blessed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. David's come so far through this psalm. Uh, his heart has changed. He was very self-focused to start with, but now he's actually thinking about the good of others, the good of, of his people. So he prays this blessing over Israel. Essentially, the logic is if God saves David, the leader of Israel, uh, then this is going to benefit the whole nation. Blessing will come to many other people. So it's, it's out of David's hands. It's all up to God. It's all up to God to save him. And it always was. It just took a little time to, to work through it all. And now he has confidence in the chaos of life. He believes that God will save him because salvation belongs to the Lord and nobody else. No one else. And this God who saves is the God who blesses people, his people, abundantly. Absolutely abundantly. Now before we finish... Before we finish, let's just think a little bit about what these words in verse 8 mean for us today. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. These words were filled in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Salvation does belong to the Lord. God is the one who saves and delivers his people. But ultimately... It's not about being saved from our circumstances. It's about being saved from our sin. It's not about being blessed with material possessions, but blessed by knowing the God of salvation. Yes. 
and being united to him by faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And this salvation comes as a free gift through faith in Jesus Christ. See, David was the king of Israel, but he was only ever a shadow or a type of, of the ultimate king to come. David was an imperfect king. He was a liar, adulterer, murderer. Um, but God promised that one day he will, sing, he will send the perfect king. And not only to rule over Israel, but all of God's people, over every nation, for every generation. This forever king is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the capital T, capital K, true king. He's the one. He's the one. And as David faced the chaos of life, so did Jesus. Jesus himself faced many enemies, didn't he? Many people rose up against him. Think about the trial before his, before his crucifixion. Who knows? I don't know how many people were there, but enough to make a very loud noise. Crucify him, crucify him. Yeah, many against him. As he hung on the cross, abandoned by many of his followers, he was mocked by religious leaders. If you're really the king, if you're really the Christ, the Son of God, then save yourself. They're basically saying, there's no salvation for you in God. But they were wrong. They were wrong. Because after Jesus suffered and died on the cross for the sin of the world, he was resurrected on the third day. Hundreds of witnesses to that. He was resurrected. Salvation belongs to the Lord. With God, all things are possible. He can make the impossible a reality. The fact that I'm a pastor and not a prisoner is a pretty good example of that, I reckon. <laughs> and just as David knew that salvation belongs to the Lord, so did Jesus. And because King Jesus uh, fully trusted God with his life, he went to the cross so that we can be saved, so that we can be delivered from our greatest enemies, Satan, sin, death. Dirty old death. And these enemies of ours, they're relentless. Right? But salvation belongs to the Lord. And Jesus Christ, he came, he came to strike these enemies on the cheek. Right? He came and stomped on the head of the serpent. He pulled out the fangs from the, from the jaws of the grave. And so death for us, whoever trusts in Christ, no longer has a bite. It no longer has a sting. The teeth are gone. Thank you, Lord. Amen. It's still there. Satan, sin, death, they're still there, but ultimately can't hurt us. Jesus has stomped on the head of Satan, sin, and death itself. And they're all still a reality, but they don't get the final say. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord says, trust in what my son has done for you on the cross, and I will save your soul. I will give you eternal life, because it's mine to give. 
Salvation belongs to the Lord. David had no chance of defeating thousands by himself. None at all. Right? And we don't have any chance of defeating death by ourselves. But salvation belongs to the Lord. And by his grace, he made it a free gift. It's a free gift. Salvation, it's his to give. And it's free for those who trust in Christ. And nothing else. David can't save himself, and neither can we. All we can do is put our trust in Jesus, that he has done it all, and will do it all. One of the blessings of God is that we have a living hope in the resurrected King, Jesus Christ. So no matter what happens in this world, your eternity is secure. What does that mean in day-to-day terms on the ground? means you can have confidence in the chaos. These are prayers for God's people. To pray, to sing, to read, to preach, to memorise. To bow with me as I lead us in prayer from Psalm 3. O Lord God, many are our foes. Many, Satan, sin, death, the struggles of life, the fears, the anxieties, the people who are against us, Lord, those who taunt us, those who try and tear our faith down. But you, O Lord, but you, you sent the Lord Jesus Christ that you, we now know for sure that you are a shield around us, that ultimately we will have salvation, we will be delivered, that nothing can take away our life. Lord, you are our shield our glory, the lifter of our head. I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that for those people here who are bound with fears and anxieties and struggles and stresses and strains, that you would be their glory, that you would be the lifter of their head even today, Lord God. Oh, would you minister to their soul through your word, and lift up their head. May they find help in you, Lord God. Would you grant them a good night's sleep? Lord, as they lay their head on their pillow, would you teach them to cast all their cares upon you? Refresh their soul, that they might wake up even tomorrow, Lord, and have confidence in you, even when the circumstances don't change. May they fix their eyes on you. Lord, may they not fear the stresses and strains, but work through them with you and cry out to you the pains and struggles of their life. Lord, we know in the Lord Jesus Christ that you have struck all our enemies on the cheek. Thank you that you stomped on the head of Satan, sin and death 
that you've knocked out their teeth, that they're there, but they cannot really do anything to us. Salvation has come from you as a gift to us, and we praise your holy name. I thank you for this blessing of your Son, of your Spirit, of your Word, of yourself. Lord, you have blessed us abundantly, and I know you have promised that there is even more in store for us, an inheritance in heaven. Thank you that we have a living hope resurrected Lord Jesus Christ oh Lord what a blessing this psalm is we praise you